dog behavior and training and dog poop on Vancouver Consumer and your questions on how to train your dog just right. And our regular feature with Todd Talbot of Love It or Listed Vancouver. There's so much talk, in fact, a lot of noise about first-time buyers in real estate. And for so many, just how hard can it be? Yet many homeowners are right there. It's their first foray into home ownership. And the question then, is there some special or simple or stress-free way to get into the market? Because for many people, it's just simply overwhelming. So either rob a bank or kill your parents. <laughs> oh, no. One or the other. <laughs> Todd Talbot at. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be a great soundbite. Uh, Todd encourages people to knock their parents off. <laughs> um, let's be honest. As a first-time buyer, it's not only daunting because of the process. You don't necessarily understand it. You don't understand the nuances. Anytime you do something for the first time, it's scary. Sure. I remember buying my first place 15 years ago. I thought the market was at its peak. As crazy as that sounds now, in hindsight, yeah. my first mortgage was 7.24%. Yeah. I thought I'd had the best mortgage ever yeah. and that I'd hit the peak. Yeah. So I was totally wrong. <laughs> um, you know, I was lured by a lot of things that I think um, marketers do to get people in. We've talked about staging. I bought the display suite in a brand new condo. Oh, So, you know, there's a lot of things that I've learned over time. And uh, so it's daunting in terms of the process for a first-time buyer. But more importantly, in this market, it's daunting from a financial perspective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people, I was talking to the lighting guy on our set the other day who's looking at buying his first property. So we're taking him out. We're, we're starting that process. And so the first thing that people are juggling is location versus budget. Right. And it always boils back down to this. On our show, we talk about it all the time. Okay, you can move a little further out, or you can go over budget. That's basically our formula. <laughs> so um, my personal philosophy about this is that a first-time purchase needs to be thought of as an investment, first and foremost. Okay. It needs to fit your, fit your needs right now, but you need to look at it long-term. This is an investment. It is not your dream home. Get rid of those thoughts. Manage your expectations. You're not at the buffet. You're, you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and you want to make a good one. Mm -hmm. So I like to suggest that we focus on location first and foremost. And if that means sacrificing some of the things that you think are really important to you right now, like 10-foot ceilings or I want a loft or whatever it is, in-suite laundry. I, I mean, make some, hot tub. <laughs> make some of those sacrifices with your first purchase in order to get into a location, location that is maximum. going to have the best capital appreciation. Right. Chances are you're buying a stratified property. might be a condo or a townhouse. Very few people are launching into a detached house as their first property, especially in greater Vancouver. Right. So those places are going to, you're not going to be able to add a ton of value through renovating. Most of the appreciation of that property is going to be based on the market. Location. So yeah. focus on that. Managing your expectations is critical, I think. And this is something that, because the market is so wacky and so out of control right now, is very difficult to do. And especially if you're a first-timer and you don't really know the rules of the road, it, it can become, as we said, a little overwhelming. Totally. And you, and then you couple all that with the and I I keep referring back to emotions because I think emotions are huge when it comes to to your home. 
So you want this place, you know, you fall in love and you see yourself there. Do you have any ideas on how to manage those (laughs) expectations in a realistic way? It's like dating. You need to have your heart broken a few times and you need to be prepared for that. And I think going in with the idea that you're going to lose a few times is great. Mm. You need to go through that process. And the, the biggest thing that I tell people right now is that take your time. You know, don't, it's very easy to get caught up in the frenzy of this market. And even when the market's not hot, that you feel like it's got to be rushed. Yeah, you feel pushed along. Put yourself in a position where you're not rushed. Make sure you're either renting a place or you're living at home or wherever it Mm -hmm. is, that you're not pressurized to leave that place and buy a place and move in. You've got lots of time. Go slowly, ask a ton of questions, make sure that you're working with someone who's passionate about first-time buyers, Right, because it's a really interesting process. You know, I, I, I still do workshops for first-time buyers, and I think it, I always come out so jacked after that conversation, because, you know, it's, it's one of the ways that we can take care of our financial future, is to lay the groundwork. But you got to make sure that that first step is a smart one, and it's a wise one, and you've bought correctly. That's Todd Talbot from Love It or List It Vancouver, which is on the air on W Network at, with your co-host Jillian Harris, 10 o'clock Monday nights. That's right. And I say thank you once again. for This has been so much fun. Thank you for being with us. Ian, it's a pleasure. You make a good cup of coffee. Some solid suggestions for entering the real estate market. Again, watch Love It or List It Vancouver tomorrow night at 10 o'clock on W Network. We're going to talk about dogs, dog training in particular. When we come back, this is Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. Shelly Smith is an award-winning certified master dog trainer with an educational background in psychology. She's been training dogs and their owners for over 12 years. Shelly's training combines counter-conditioning replacing unwanted behavior with more appropriate behavior and positive reinforcements rather than just the old method of reprimanding for bad behavior. And we welcome your calls as well regarding your dog's behavior, good, bad, or indifferent, at 604-280-9898 or star 9898 if you're mobile. Good morning to you, Shelley. Good morning, Ian. Nice to have you back with us. Thank you. Let's start with um, what they call the the five basic commands. Sit, come, down, stay, and leave it. Would you concur that those are the the most important five commands? Uh, Probably. I I add a stand in there, stand, stay. I I use that quite a bit with my dogs. You know, if it's raining, I don't want them to necessarily sit on on the pavement, so I'll tell them stand, stay. Um, if they're in mud or something and I don't want them to, my backyard's a bit muddy and I don't want them if I'm opening my gate to go into the driveway. So I'll just say stand, stay, um, Mm -hmm. as well for wiping their paws. (laughs) Groomers will love you if you teach your dog the stand, stay. Vets will love you if you teach your dog the stand, stay. Really? Yeah. What, what is the difference and how do you distinguish between the two? Well, sit, stay is exactly that. Sit and stay. Stand, stay is exactly that. Stand, ah. stay. <laughs> so we, the way we understand it is that uh, the dogs have a vocabulary of, what is it, several hundred words or 100 yeah. words? Yeah, Dr. Stanley Korn says they're roughly the, the equivalent, of, you know, brain-wise, roughly the equivalent of about a two-and-a-half-year-old child. Right. A two-and-a-half-year-old child. So that's about six months better than me. And I know at least at least thirty five words. Well, you're a guy. <laughs> hey, now. Um, so, if you can tr- if you can train your dog 
to do those five commands, does that assume that the rest of it will come pretty easy? Absolutely. You know, um, the more you train them, uh, the more words they understand, the easier it becomes to train them. Right. Uh, They pick up more and more words. Okay. So sit, come, down, stay, leave it, uh, of those... And loose leash walking. I think the walking is probably the most important part. I mean, if you have a large dog, it's not that much fun being yarded down the street by your large dog. Right. And I wanted to get to that, too, but of these five, uh, is that the correct order? Sit, come, down, stay, leave it? Um, I don't think there's any right order of doing it. You know, um, you teach a sit to start with, and you get a really good, strong sit, and then you teach the down. Okay. Now, I did promise uh, to open up the phone, so I'm going I'm to jump on that right away, uh, and we'll get back to more of what I have to ask you. But uh, Bill's got a good question. Go ahead, Bill. Hi. Um, I inherited a dog. He's two years old, is a Shih Tzu Maltese, and um, he needs more house training. He pees in the house, and he's not neutered. And I'm wondering if the neutering is, is a part of the issue, or does he, does he need crating? Um, neutering doesn't really have much to do with him soiling in the house. He's not marking. Um, the only time a dog will mark if you've got other dogs, other male dogs on the property, and say a female that's coming to heat, um, so the neutering has really nothing to do with the house soiling. Yes, use a crate. Every time you take him out of the crate, take him directly outside to the pee zone. And when he goes to the bathroom, what I tell my clients, have a puppy potty party for him in his honor. He'll get it very quickly. <laughs> Thanks. Now, when you, when you, when you talk about uh, finding a spot, I mean, we know that cats go to a litter box. Are, are dogs the same? Do dogs like to go in the same spot? Absolutely, and that's why if they've gone to the bathroom in the house a few times, you'll notice that they'll always try to go back to the same spot in the house. The whole trick with house training is there's no reprimands in house training. Reprimand yourself that you did not set the scenario properly for the dog. Um, contain the dog in a crate. Take the dog out frequently. Have a command word. Happy, happy command word. And praise like your dog is going off to war tomorrow and you may never see him again. <laughs> now, the thing with the crate, Shelley, I think is important. Lots of wrong crates on the market. Well, this is it. It's Be- a very kennel. If it's, if it's too big, then a dog will likely use half of it as its bathroom and the other half as its place to, to sleep. Because we know that dogs, by and large, don't want to soil their, their bed. No, they're very clean animals. Okay, so how do you determine the right, if you're into crating, and, and I assume that you are, uh, where, do, where do you size? How do you size? Well, um, you know, go to the, your local pet store and take a look at them. Um, when your dog is lying down, there should be about six inches from his bum to the end and from his face to the, to the other end. So they can turn around, they can sit up, and their ears aren't, you know, crunched. Um, but there's, it's, it's just a sleeping environment. It's not a luxury hotel. <laughs> Do you like the open crates or the closed crates? The closed crates. And the open crates aren't very good. Like the wired ones are a little bit cheaper. The only good thing about them is they come with space things in them that you can make them smaller. But it's not really a natural environment for the dog. dog dogs are denning animals. They like right. to you know, go to ground. So the plastic crates are more of a natural environment. The bigger open air crates, I suggest to people to cover you know, the top and all, all the sides except the front with a sheet because it makes it more of a cave, more of a natural sure. environment. What if you have a, like a, a hairy dog that you know? It's, and, and, and I have a hairy dog. Okay, and it gets warm in the summertime. So would they not get better ventilation with a with a crate that that has more opening? Um, I don't know. I mean, the very kennels have been on the market for years and years, and they seem to be you know great. If it's a really warm day, have the windows open, have a fan, you know, on the uh, on the dog. But uh, I, 
the open-air ones just have come on the market in the last 20 years. 20 years ago, the only ones you could get were the plastic ones. Hmm. So they're obviously, you know, they're the right ones. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. Uh, this must be the Shelly Smith I grew up with, who's the best. Howard Blank, one. I recognize your yeah. voice. And my condolences to your family. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to... I have you one have problem. I, dogs. I do. I have two chow chows. <laughs> and what I'm noticing now is Chaco, the older one, he gets angry. Like Normally he doesn't want food when we're out in the park, like treats. So I give to all the dogs, and then sometimes I'll have it. But sometimes when he wants it, he gets extremely angry that any other dog is getting anything. Is there anything I can do with that, or should I just stop doing that? Open? I would stop doing that. A lot of experts would tell you... Probably not the best thing to bring treats to a, uh, you know, to an off-leash dog park and then share because you don't know the other dogs. Some dogs can be very, you know, uh, aggressive around uh, around food. So I would sure, definitely no. use treats for them and you know use high-value treats. If you go on my website and you pull off the uh, the recipe for yummy doggy liver brownies, I have yet to meet a dog that doesn't absolutely love these. Um, but you know, I would save the treats just for him. So, you know, in your recall, when he comes back, give him a treat. But I probably would not suggest giving treats to other dogs while he's around. Not just because of him. I wouldn't do it with my own dogs, simply because I don't know the other dogs at the park. Understood. Okay, thanks, Shelley. Howard, how many, uh, how many doggy auctions have you done lately? <laughs> I've got one tonight. The big one tonight for, uh, for accolades for the AIDS research, so I'm excited. Good for you. Thanks for your call. <laughs> Good to hear from you, <laughs> Howard Blank. Of I course, grew up with him. Did you? Yeah, well, yeah. We knew each other when we were little kids in and, elementary school. And well, he's not a little. Was he ever little? No. <laughs> and if he's a he's huge in the the fundraising uh, world, and uh, of late, of course, uh, doing a lot of work with Variety. Um, back to this whole idea. If you have a if you have a question for uh, Shelley Smith about your dog's behavior, by all means, uh, feel free to call six zero four two eight zero ninety eight ninety eight or star ninety eight ninety eight. Some of the common issues that dog owners face and get scared of, and and one in particular is when you have a dog that's aggressive. And and is there anything that can be done about that? Is there an easy fix? Because I think what happens is that the owner gets frustrated, maybe the owner gets a little aggressive, and the dog just starts to mirror what you're doing. Absolutely. That's probably the most um, common problem that I see, dog-to-dog aggression and dog-to-people aggression. That's my bread and butter in terms of private lessons. Um, And it it is fixable. It's not, you know, wave a magic wand and it's fixed, but you can teach your dog an alternative response. Uh, The watch me command is used generally for dog-to-dog aggression. So you teach your dog to pay attention to you despite other distractions. And initially, you know, the the other dog has to be pretty far away and you teach your dog, watch me, watch me, and you continue to give him treats. And over time, you can do that, you know, as the other dogs get closer and closer. My own dog, um, who's three, Magnum, he uh, was dog-to-dog aggressive, very dog-to-dog aggressive, full hackles up, full teeth bared. And the first time I took him into a class, it was a f- friend of mine, and she knew I had full control. But people were lifting up their dogs. They were like, oh, my, because he's a German Shepherd. He's, you know, 92 pounds. Um, and now I'm proud to say I can walk him into any of my obedience classes and not a peep out of him. He sits there and, and he falls asleep, actually, in the class. <laughs> Are your classes I, that exciting or what? Yeah. It's <laughs> so it's boring just, for him. He it, doesn't have a good, strong work ethic like all my last year. Right. Efforts. But uh, no problem at all. I can walk him by. And I do train him. On Tuesday nights, I go into a, another dog training class. And I'll put him in a sit-stay with 15 other dogs that are a couple of inches away. And I can leave the room and no issues whatsoever. So this begins with uh, what I would call a form of distraction. Absolutely. 
absolutely. Yeah. Right. Okay. Let's uh, let's see what Arlene's up to. Good morning. Hello. Oh, hi. Go right ahead there. Yes, I have a nine-year-old rescue dog, and um, he hates the vacuum cleaner. He barks and he runs up to it and bites it all the time that I'm vacuuming. That's that's, that's not uncommon. My own dog did that when he was young. Oh. Um, what I'd suggest to do is put the vacuum cleaner on in, say, a different room and habituate him to the noise. So have it in your dining room, for instance, and be the furthest point in your house and just start giving him treats. So he gets used to that noise okay. and, you know, um, pair it with a positive association. And every, you know, couple of days, move a little bit closer to the vacuum cleaner. So you just okay. habituate him to it. He's not going to take that treat when you're standing right next to the vacuum cleaner. So put it as far away in your house as possible. Turn it on and, you know, start working with him in a really happy way. Sit, okay. oh, what a good boy, using treats. Yeah. And every day, try to move a little bit closer okay. to, uh, to the vacuum cleaner. Okay, thank you. Good luck. Thank you, Arlene. That's a great question. The, I want to ask you about treats because my concern is if, if you're constantly giving your dog treats, you're going to end up with a fat dog. Not necessarily. You, you use the treats in the initial stages of training, um, and I use a lot of them. And then as you know, the training goes on, you start to phase out the treats. And so if you pair if the, your treats appropriately, you're able to phase out the treats. Um, you know, most people give the treats wrong. They give the treat first, and then they offer the praise. They're like, treat, oh, good dog. But what you want to do is offer the praise first, what a good boy, okay. and then offer the treat. And that enables you to drop out the treats later on. Think Pavlov and the ringing bells and the dog salivating. So if you say, good dog, quickly followed by the treat, that becomes one in the same in the dog's mind over time. Now, without we don't have to get into brand names here because that's not really necessary, but what types of treats... Good Would question, because people come to my classes with the wrong treats. They come with these big milk bones. They give the dog. The dog takes, you know, a couple of seconds or a couple of minutes to chew it. You want something small and moist that you can just pop in the dog's mouth, and the dog says, mm, that's delicious. <laughs> so really small, really yummy. And what about the, uh, in, in all seriousness, what about the health concern of, of treats? Is there a healthier treat than not so healthy? I don't know. I, I'm sure there are, you know, some... You know, I, I, I read the brands at the pet store, and they're chock full of, you know, additives and this and that. But, again, it's not your dog's main diet. It is a treat. So I don't think you're going to do that much harm. Again, my liver brownie recipe, I didn't make it up. I got it from somebody years and years ago. It, most of the stuff in that recipe is in your pantry today. Is that on your website? Yep. What's your website? Uh, ca. Okay. Yeah, I a point of remembering it for you this time, Ian. We'll, we'll give it out again, too. Uh, that's your, your special treat. Dogs love them. And, you know, there's no additives. They last forever in the freezer. I cut them up, put them in baggies. and uh, What about the limit? The should there be a limit, like, per session, how many treats no. you should give your dog? No, I mean, if your dog is nervous, there is no limit. I mean, I tell people, fill your treat pouch with treats, and if you think you've got enough, double it when you come to class. And again, it's the cl my classes are seven weeks long. The first couple of classes, these dogs are going through a lot of treats. And as the class goes on, it's less and less and less treats. We use the treats, you know, initially as a lure to get the dog to do what we want. And then once the dog starts to understand, for instance, what sit means, we can use the treat sparingly as a payment for a job well done. Good morning, Jeanette. Oh, yes, good morning. Um, yeah, I was just calling in. I have... Um, a three-year-old, actually, his birthday's today. Happy um, birthday. Yeah. <laughs> is he going to blow out the candles? Yeah, he gave me a strange look when I told him happy birthday, too. <laughs> Aren't you making him a doggy birthday cake? Uh, he should get one, but he's a pretty big boy. He's, he's half Greater Swiss Mountain and half English Bulldog. Wow. 
very strange combination. And had a step ladder there because the, there's a, quite a size discrepancy. Well, it didn't happen naturally, obviously, but uh, he's um, he's a very very sweet dog. But when the doorbell rings, he just he's so really common. excited. Very common problem. And, and I don't know whether it's the bulldog brain in him that causes no, that, that or not. That's that, that could be a poodle, it could be a Shih Tzu, it could be a Shepherd. You name the breed. Um, and a lot when people come to my classes, I tell them when the dogs are young, desensitize your dog to the doorbell. And people say to me all the time, oh, you know, my dog is young. He's not doing it. He's not barking. I'm like, wait, um, he will. So it's a matter of just this is going to take a bit of time to undo, but it is very, very doable. Go to the door. Get yourself a treat pouch full of, full of treats. Open the door and stand. ask your dog to sit and stay right in front of the door with the door wide open. And that's important here. We're going to have to pick it up after the break. So hang on to find out how to stop your dog from barking at the door. Uh, Shelly Smith is with us. She's a certified master dog trainer. 604-280-9898 is our number if you want to ask her a question about your dog. We do have to take a break on Vancouver Consumer. News Talk 980 CKNW. Oh, it's all about dogs today. We're going to talk about the other end of what the dog does in a few minutes from right now. Uh, This is a real interesting story and a a business that I have really, really taken to because I think it's a great idea. It's been around for a little while, but we'll get to that momentarily. Talking to Shelly Smith, she's a certified master dog trainer. Just before the break, uh, we were talking about barking at the uh, the door, and a lot of dogs do this, Shelly. And I think, uh, from my perspective, it's probably okay if the dog barks a few times. That's their their territorial way of protecting the premises. But what happens in the case when the, and you started to tell us, uh, what happens in the case when the dog just won't give it up? Again, it's pretty common, Ian. Um, You know, dogs become decent, or they become so excited with the doorbell. Um, so what you do is you take your dog, you put your dog on leash, take your dog, open the front door or wherever your you know, knocker is, your doorbell, ask your dog to sit and stay, have a treat uh, pouch full of treats, and with one hand keep on ringing the doorbell. Your dog is going to stand to bark. So you're not reprimanding your dog for barking, you're reprimanding your dog for standing. No, sit. Give the dog a treat for sitting. The dog's got to shut his mouth to take that treat. You're going to have to ring that doorbell probably about a thousand times. <laughs> Um, and you'll do it, you know, over a couple of nights, period. And what you're teaching your dog is to go to the door and sit. Um, you don't need, you know, dogs will alert the pack if they hear a noise outside of the house. People say to me all the time, well, I want a bit of that guard dog, you know, thing I want to know. And mm-hmm. what I tell people in my classes is, you know, the people who are coming and ringing your doorbell are not coming to rob you. By and large, they are friends and family. Mm-hmm. So why do you need your dog to carry on with, uh, with the doorbell? And it, it is an easy fix with the last caller, her dog was nine, so she's going to have to undo seven and a half years of work. So it's probably not going to be done in one night. But the reason why the door has to be open initially in the first stages of this training is so the dog can see, hey, wait a minute here. There's nothing out there. Right. Why am I barking? Once you've done that a couple times, then you do a setup with the door shut. Maybe get a family member. I always send my husband out to do it. I want to stay inside. Um, and I try to do it on rainy nights for him as well. Um, that's Aren't just, you a delight? That's just the kind of gal I am. <laughs> but I'll put my dog in a sit-stay and have you know my guy ring the doorbell. And when my dog stands up to bark, I'm like, no, sit. Oh, what a good boy. And a treat. 
Yeah, you, you say you say in the case of, of our last call that it would take uh, seven and a half years of undoing. What's a what's a reasonable amount of time to expect a be- behavior modification for most you dogs? Know, every dog is different, but the older dogs they get it right away. Um, I had a nine year old dog, Adobe, in my class years ago. I remember this dog quite Candy. Remember if you're still alive, um, and. It was, you know, adopted out and got they got it at nine. Came with all of these problems, and well, like pulling and viewed pulling as an Olympic sport. That was gone in about forty seconds in the class when I showed the owners how to do the right thing with the treats and praise. Older dogs get it right away. They're like, oh, okay. Certain behaviors are because it's so ingrained in the dog are hard to, you know, to to change. But you can always teach a dog an, an alternative response. Now, what about that saying, you can't teach uh, an old dog new tricks? Is that's, that true? That's not true. Okay. Sharon, how are you today? Sharon? Oh, yes. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I have a five-year-old Shih Tzu Poodle. Mm-hmm. We had him at seven months old because the people gave him up for adoption. And he goes ballistic. He, I can't put him in the crate. I can't leave him at home. I adopted um, another Bichon, which is an older one, to keep him company. That didn't work. Yet... You can take him in the car. He'll sit all day, all right. night, as long as he with. But his paws are soaken. Right. His mouth is soaken. That's a true case of separation anxiety. Um, and that's a, that's a tough one. And, you know, a lot of people say, oh, my dog has separation anxiety, and that's not necessarily the case. But in this case, if your dog is panting and salivating, he does have separation anxiety. Um, and the, really, it's not going to be a quick fix with this one. Getting into a dog training class where you're teaching your dog um, will absolutely help and changing up how you leave the house, what you need to start doing. But he needs his obedience to be increased. But and then once you know once you've got that underway, what you need to start doing is leaving him in very small increments that he can handle. I mean, if he was here with me, I'd be teaching him a sit stay, say in my living room, and then ducking out of his focus just for a second and popping back in. Good boy. So increasing you know the the distance that I'm from him and that he can't see me. So that's going to start to build up his confidence. But you really would need one-on-one work with a trainer. But a group dog training class to get all of your basics um, needs to be your foundation. And then from there, there are certain tricks that you Whoops. Did I cut you off? Not me. Oh, okay. I accidentally <laughs> leaned on the button. I hope that... Sorry about that, Sharon. I, I hope that you were... But it is fixable. A separation anxiety, I just want to say for other people that are out there, because it's relatively common, right. there are lots of steps that you can take um, you know, to, to build up your dog's confidence that the sky is not falling if you can't be with me. Okay. I got a question here about jumping. Yeah. Dogs that jump and it can't, can't seem to control the dog from jumping. We actually encourage jumping. That's an owner-created problem. Um, when a, Jumping is attention-seeking behavior, and when a dog jumps on us, um, most of us look down at the dog and we go, no, down, off. And that actually is giving the dog what the dog wants, which is your attention. If you actually completely ignore the jumping and don't look at your dog, don't talk to your dog, let your dog jump. So what I do, um, you know, if I have a dog that's here at my house, I will take in problem dogs once, once in a while that views jumping as an Olympic sport. Mm-hmm. I will come in and out of my house 20 times in a row. I want to bring the dog up to bring the dog down. So I'll come in, where's the dog? Where's the puppy? I get the dog coming to me, jumping, jumping, jumping. I pay no attention. I stand completely still. And most dogs will jump, 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 and then go, wait a minute. How come I'm not getting a response? Mm-hmm. And in confusion, they will sit. And as soon as they sit, 
I'm going to pop a treat into their mouth. I'm not going to pet them. I'm not going to talk to them. I'm just going to pop a treat into their mouth. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to wait a minute, come back in, do it again. Don't say anything when a dog is jumping because jumping is attention-seeking behavior. And in attention-seeking behavior, dogs do not, do not differentiate between negative attention, bad dog, or positive attention, good dog. So the treat, you are just capitalizing on a natural occurring behavior. Okay. Let's take one more call, and then uh, I want to talk about your classes uh, because we're running quickly on time. So, Sharon, you got a question? Yes, it's Sharon back again. Yeah. I just wanted to ask you, I have a Shih Tzu that constantly licking, uh, the Bichon, licking his feet terribly, and I don't know if it's an anxiety or... He's licking his own feet or the other dog's feet? No, he's licking his feet terribly, and I've tried every kind of food. I would talk to your vet about that because from what I understand, um, that is allergies. Oh, okay. That's licking feet is, is a cause of allergies. I had one of my last shepherds had severe allergies, and she was constantly, constantly at her feet, so I don't... I'd rule out any medical problems first before I, you know, went into anxiety. Dogs that do lick, um, and that is can be a form of anxiety. It's generally not their paws. Mm. I had some other questions for you, but we're we're tight on time, so we'll have to get you back. And I would look forward to that. I did want to mention because uh, you said this a couple of times uh, about group obedience classes. And that's something that you do, and I, I, I yeah, take it I to... I private lessons as well, but I really try to encourage dog owners to get into a group class. A group class is way better than, you know, I shouldn't say this because I do teach private lessons as well, but the group classes, you get a better trained dog. I still train. I'm a certified master dog trainer. I still attend classes with my three-year-old shepherd. Really? Yeah, absolutely. And I know of a lot of other top dog handlers, um, you know, people who've written books, I won't say their name, but people who've written books on dogs that continue to attend classes with their dogs because you've got all those distractions. What you're teaching your dog week after week, pay attention to me despite the other dog being there, those other people, the kids, whatever. You do get a better trained dog hands-on. Unless you have a particular issue, like say with the separation anxiety, you know, I'd still recommend that gal get into a group class and then maybe work with the trainer one-on-one for that particular issue because a group class isn't going to work on particular issues. But group training, absolutely, hands down, um, you get a better trained dog. Go to the website dogtrainershelly.ca. That's dogtrainershelly.ca. Shelly Smith, a certified master dog trainer. Thank you for your time. It's always fun talking to you, and uh, we'll get you back again, and we'll take some more calls because sure. clearly there's a big interest in this. Uh, again, thank you, Shelly Smith. Dogtrainershelly.ca. We're going to talk about dog poop when we come back. Vancouver Consumer on News Talk 980 CKNW. So right now we're going to talk about dog poop and how Metro Vancouver wants to keep it out of the landfill. This past week, the city of Vancouver contracted Scooby's Dog Waste and Removal Service to place pickup bins in designated but yet-to-be-determined parks on a pilot project and then turn, it, turn the waste over to the wastewater treatment plant uh, instead of having it go to the landfill. Joining us now in studio from Scoobies is Bill Dresky. Nice to have you in studio today. Hey, hey. At one time, one would have thought they were doing the right thing by picking up after the dog and just tossing it into the trash can, but apparently that's A, not a good idea, and B, uh, against the municipal bylaws. Yeah, it's um, Scoobies has been around since 1992, and um, we... We've been uh, working with uh, 
various municipalities trying to get them to do this. But yeah, uh, every municipality pretty much has a bylaw in place saying that you're not supposed to put uh, animal feces into the uh, landfill. Um, it just never really seemed to go out and was being enforced. I guess it's and like licensing your dog. Most people don't do it, or a, uh, the majority don't. Yeah, um, I don't know about that. Uh, I, I know I, I have a few dogs, and they're both licensed, and I know lots of people who don't license their dogs. They think it's a waste of money. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether that money goes into the municipal general revenue or if it gets put towards uh, animals or not. But uh, um, I don't know what the stats are on that. But I, I think you know most people do license their dogs, but uh, it's hard to say. Let's talk about Scooby's dog waste removal. Essentially, in a line or two, what is your business? What do you do? I mean, obviously, you pick up dog poop, but there's so much more to it than just that. Yeah, well, we uh, we drive around and pick up trucks. We go to people's houses, and uh, we have two kinds of customers. Uh, we have uh, scoop customers, we call them, where we uh, go in, clean up the yard, take the poop away. And bucket customers, they basically clean up their own, and uh, we just line the bucket, and we uh, take that away and exchange it out. And from there, we uh, we um, take it to our tanker truck. We fill that up, mix it with water, and take it to sewage treatment at Iona Wastewater Treatment. Right. I got to ask, and, and I'm going to hate myself for doing this, but are you are you the butt of a lot of jokes? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But business is picking up. Well, yeah. <laughs> I asked for it, didn't I? Yeah. So tell me, uh, help me to understand this. Uh, as as a dog owner myself, I, I go to my favorite dog parks where they have uh, attached to a pole, they have a, a bag, a plastic bag dispenser, and next to that is a garbage container. And yet, the bylaw says you can't you can't do that. Uh, how do how do we make sense of that? Yeah, well, it's. Um... They don't want you leaving it on the ground, and so they want you to clean it up. And uh, the engineering doesn't really want it in the garbage. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's a difficult problem. And in uh, uh, about four years ago, Metro Vancouver approached me with this problem, and we came up with um, a pretty good solution. Uh, it's uh, labor-intensive, and um, but we... You know, we we put out separate receptacles right beside the garbage can, and uh, within a few weeks, we had pretty much one hundred percent compliance. Really, with uh, with people putting the dog poop in the right bin and no garbage, and there's very little dog poop going into the garbage can, and uh, we pick that up and we take it and we separate the poop from the bags and we put it in our tank and we take it to sewage treatment and. Uh, that's proved to be uh, a pretty successful way of dealing with it. Um, the problem with putting it in the landfill is the methane. Yeah. And this is a huge problem that a lot of people don't realize that contribute to uh, our, our greenhouse gases and, and our carbon footprint. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, the, you know, the same problem. You know, most municipalities right now have gone to just from a greens bin to an actual organics bin and anything organic well, is going to produce gas. So uh, poop is one of the, you know, more nasty ones for that. And, uh, you know, it's there's two reasons that they don't want it. The municipality doesn't want it because they don't want uh, their workers uh, throwing dog poop into a, a compressing dump truck that or, like, garbage truck that's going to squish it all out. Mm-hmm. And um, 
and yeah, in general, they just don't want it in the landfill because of the uh, the methane, um, and you know, technically, it could stink up the dump. But mm-hmm. uh, um, it's uh, it, it, it's you know, with this with this project with Vancouver, uh, like I said, we've been working with Metro Vancouver doing several parks. Um, and uh, all the municipalities apparently have been watching closely to see how it works. And so Vancouver has, uh, has decided to do a pilot project in three parks, and, uh, and uh, the city of Port Moody just uh, signed on, and we're doing a few bins with them. Can I ask you, um, because I want to know, and I, I hope that somebody who's listening right now is also thinking the same thing, what were you thinking when you decided that you were going to get into the dog poop collection business? Well, uh, I, 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 I didn't really decide to do it. Um, it's uh, uh, a friend of mine was working two days a week for Scoobies in 1999, and he asked me to uh, fill in for him for three weeks when he went on holidays. And uh, at that time, I was doing a whole bunch of different jobs. I was doing irrigation. I was delivering newspapers. I was just, you know, doing whatever I could. And uh, and so I uh, I did that for three weeks, and... I found out that somebody was going back to school and they were quitting their two day a week Scooby's job. So I took that job and I, uh, I was actually at the time doing my, uh, I was working towards getting a commercial pilot's license, which I now have, but I have a commercial pilot's license when I pick up dog poop. So, <laughs> but you know, as time went on, uh, uh, I just, I kept working and, uh, ended up acquiring five days a week of work out of it. And, uh, uh, by that point, um, uh, I decided that, uh, I didn't want to go up North and fly for hours. And, uh, I refinanced my mortgage and bought half of this business. And, uh, since then that's what I've been doing. So uh, apart from the pilot project that we discussed with the city of Vancouver, how does the, the day-to-day operations uh, of your business work? So in other words, uh, based on what I understand is if I have a backyard, You'll come to my my backyard, and there's you, you, two things you'll do. One is you'll pick up and whatever's left on the ground and and take it away, or I can fill up the bucket myself, and you'll just take the bucket away. Yep, that's pretty much it. Um, and some customers have the combined service uh, because uh, you know, for example, you live in Richmond, we'll be by your house on Wednesdays, and uh, you know, in the summer when you're using your yard, uh, you might want to clean up on the weekend, and that's when you cut your lawn or something. So. Uh, you know, people will pick up a little bit in between and, uh, it's a combined service, but you know, that's pretty much it. And, uh, you know, sometimes I hear people say, uh, wow, those people are lazy or something. It's just like, well, in, in the winter, uh, our biggest, busiest time is, is during the winter from daylight savings to daylight savings. You know, you wake up, it's dark out, it's raining. You come home from work, it's dark out, it's raining. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's, you know, that's when we're busiest in the summer. Uh, business tends to drop off a bit because people go on holidays they and they're using their yard. Sure. So once a week just isn't enough. But um, that's, you know, that's been, uh, you know, the two guys who started this business in 1992, Craig Stark and John Leishman, they were university students looking for a way to uh, make money. And, that's a great idea. Yeah, and, and I'm not sure where they got the idea, I think, from Cal- a company in California. And, uh, you know, they started it and built it up. And, uh, you know, it was like a few hundred customers then uh, all over the place. And, and now we, you know, we service from Horseshoe Bay out to Abbotsford and down to White Rock and uh, to Wasson. 
How much? Uh, how much are the services for a homeowner? Uh, I think they're pretty inexpensive. Uh, you know, for the scooping service, it's uh, $9.89 a week, and the bucket service is $7.03 a week. And they're funny numbers because, you know, we bill every two months, and it works out to a nice round number, $64 every two months for the bucket service and $90 every two months for the scooping service. Mm-hmm. So, Is that including taxes? You bet. And there's tax in there, GST, I guess. Yeah, just GST. No PST yeah. in that. Yeah. And do you provide the bucket? Oh, yeah. You provide yeah. the bucket and the bags? Yep. Okay. Yeah. So it's a pretty good service, and it, 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 it so it's a win-win. It's a win-win for the dog owner. It's a win-win for you as a business owner, and it's a win-win for all of us that live in Metro Vancouver by keeping that dog poop out of the landfill. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So, sounds pretty easy. Uh, what's the what's the the take up rate? Do, are, are people signing up every day? Are people getting the message that this is the right way to do things? Uh, well, the biggest challenge we've always had is. Um, you know, when people see my truck or I'm going somewhere, and the, the biggest thing we always hear is, I never knew there was such a service. And uh, and then, you know, our, our most business now is coming from the internet uh, with Google and stuff. But it used to be word of mouth, and they would see our truck because we have signage on it. i got to leave it there, but I want to get this out because this is important. Uh, Bill Dresky is with Scooby's Dog Waste Removal. Have a look at the website to get more information. It's wescooppoop.ca. Wescooppoop.ca. Scooby's Dog Waste Removal. A great idea and relatively inexpensive for what you're getting. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. We should chat again uh, uh, as time goes by. Maybe we'll pair you up with uh, with Shelley Smith again. That's all the time we have for Vancouver Consumer. My name is Ian Power. Amila Bamji is our technical producer. CKNW Weekend is next.